This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. That's right, Geek Gab for Saturday, June 11th, 2016. So, John, how was your week? It's been a great week. Lots of gaming, lots of geeking. Have you been playing Overwatch? I have not. I had a great time during the open beta, but I chose not to purchase it. Any particular uh, reason why? Well, the truth is is that I'm not a huge shooter fan. I, I thought it was really enjoyable, but as, as I barely played any of the absolutely free Team Fortress 2... Um, uh, it didn't. Uh, it didn't grasp me long enough to uh, to purchase it. I tell you, the one shooter that that did get me to play for a long time was actually uh, one of those team-based games, uh, Enemy Territory, Wolfenstein Enemy Territory. That's my style of shooter. I have, I I don't even know if I've ever heard of that. It's an it's an oldie but goodie. It was uh, made from the if you remember Return to Castle Wolfenstein. Uh, they used that engine to make a multiplayer team game um, uh, with all the fun, cheesy Nazi voices you could ever want. Uh, um, uh, but it was, it, was, it was one of those really fun team-based games, uh, sort of like Battlefield or, um, or, or Team Fortress. Okay, uh, how How was your week, uh, Brian? Oh, it's been a lovely week. So, first of all, uh, just yesterday, in fact, I celebrated the first anniversary of my debut novel, Ethereal. It's now one year old. I uh, couldn't be uh, a prouder book parent. It's exceeded all expectations. Thanks largely to Larry Cree and also my awesome readers. So... I will say it is currently on sale for $2.99, as is the even better received sequel, Soul Dancer. So give, give yourself a little present. It's, it's important, you know, every once in a while just to do something nice for yourself and picking up an entertaining space opera slash horror slash fantasy. You know, what, what better way to pamper yourself a little bit? I also... Got to attend a uh, press pre-screening of James Wan's The Conjuring Part Two. How did you get uh, invited to that? I was kind of curious. Oh, I have connections. Like literally. Um, do you remember my good friends from the sadly now uh, on indefinite hiatus drunken zombie podcast? Well, um, they actually have press cred and. Um, a couple of them work at um, a local television station. So they're somehow able to that into getting some advanced screening tickets. And they invited so do, me along. Do you, can anyone apply to get that, or do you just have to be part of a like a legitimate media outlet? Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask them. Like I know that, um, for example, they were able to get into Gen Con free and they like they, they got me into Gen Con free a couple times because they were actually actually there like as things so I think that they're like working at TV stations 
they were able to figure out the process for how to actually get press passes, but yeah, they still got them, so we all still get to benefit. And I'll give you guys uh, my reaction to the movie a little bit here. So That's awesome. Thanks, yeah, great week. Uh, how about you, Jason? Let's see, I watched Zootopia this week. Oh. And I watched another terrible movie that apparently I have blocked from my mind because I can't even recall what it was. In fact, I don't even remember if it was this week or if it was like last Friday before the show. Uh, I just remember it was a terrible movie and I took two hours out of my life to watch it. I like mentioned it on Twitter and stuff, but I can't recall it to mind. But I did, in point of fact, see Disney's Zootopia yesterday. Uh, and I wrote about it on the blog, so that post is up. What what lengthy analysis and review of the movie I intend to produce is now live on uh, daddywarpig.com. So um, I will say this. Zootopia wasn't actually horrendously, terribly the worst thing I've ever seen, so there's that. It isn't a bad movie. I thought that a lot of the criticisms of it were overblown. It's definitely a movie that was uh, is well suited for kids. I don't think uh, I think kids will love it. And uh, the one guy who wrote an article about seven he wrote an article about seven things he hated about the movie or that bugged him about the movie, and a lot of them were just like bizarre nitpicks. He's like slamming the table and saying, "But none of the animals have genitalia," and you're like. Because it's a cartoon. <laughs> it's a kid's movie. It's not a furry porn, okay? It's a kid's movie. How is that surprising to you? So, yeah, a lot of the people who were nitpicking with the movie were analyzing it like it was supposed to be something completely different than it actually was. I mean, if you set out to make a kid's movie, and you succeed in making a kid's movie that will really, really appeal to kids, it's hard to see where you went wrong with the basic concept of making a kid's movie. Yeah, the, the DMV sloth joke looked good in the trailer. If a bit on the nose, but like you said, it's it's a kid's movie. Um, you guys follow my my Twitter feed occasionally. It, what horrible movie did I mention going and seeing recently? It had to have been science fiction or fantasy. It had to have been a fairly recent movie out in the last couple of years. This is kind of bugging me now. All right, hold on. So, anyways, because I don't usually watch movies. I, I usually don't have time to sit down for two full hours and watch an entire movie. I did also watch The Rescuers this week, so I had another kid's movie to compare Zootopia to. In fact, another Disney movie from my childhood. Um, I watched The Rescuers, and I don't know, I am absolutely certain this is one of the most uh, obscure Disney kids films ever made. It's an hour and 15 minutes, so it was better suited to be if they had cut down some of the uh, some of the fantastically uh, stuffed with padding this movie was. You could easily have cut out uh, 15 or 20 minutes and made it into one of those ABC Disney uh, specials. They used to have the Wide World of Disney or whatever it was. Um, 
they could have made it uh, the rescuers into it, but it had some things that were really, really charming that appealed to me as a kid. And as an old one, going back, and there just isn't enough in the movie that really uh, to even just get a grasp on. It's not like a Pixar film, which is chock full from stop uh, to start with uh, just interesting stuff. Like Toy Story is just chock full stuff, full of plot, of characterization, of jokes, of all kinds of stuff, whereas The Rescuers isn't. Have you ever seen The Rescuers, John? I haven't. Uh, in fact, I feel the same way about Disney movies. At this point, the only ones I can still watch are Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Song of the South. Do you know they ruined Bedknobs and Broomsticks? They destroyed it. How did they do that? There was, in the original, they cut out about 20 minutes of material. That was pretty bad. It, it isn't good material. And so now... For the Blu-ray releases, they stick in all of this boring, slow material that just, you know, pads out the movie, and that's literally the only version you can buy now, anywhere. Um, the only place that you can even get the old, classic version of Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which you might have seen in the theater, is on a DVD that was released in Norway that happens to have a second track in English. I'm not joking. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah, I remember, I've seen at least parts of The Rescuers. Doesn't the movie come out of that weird dark period in Disney from like the early 80s before Eisner took over where they didn't really know what they were doing? Like when they did something Wicked This Way Comes in Black Hole. Yeah, they were doing some Black weird Hole. stuff there. But Bedknobs and Broomsticks was kind of more like a like a traditional kid's story. Right. It was, it was closer to Mary Poppins than the Black Hole, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. They had, uh, let's see, what else came out at that same time? Uh, the Hound and the Fox, which wasn't a terrible movie, but it wasn't a great movie. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like Cinderella. It wasn't like Snow White. It wasn't like the classic Disney movies that kids just love and, and are, you know, great to this day. And it was long before they started getting their renaissance, which, if I remember correct, started with The Little Mermaid. That's when they had kind of their renaissance in their animation division. The Little Mermaid and then Aladdin and Hercules and, and those uh, were kind of a renaissance. But yeah, during the late 70s, early 80s, they had uh, this trough in their animation division, which just uh, produced stuff that was okay but not great. Yeah. The TV movie period, I think you could really call it. I've watched two Disney movies this week. That's my report. <laughs> <laughs> and going the entire other direction, completely opposite of watching two Disney movies, we have Brian who saw a horror movie. Yes, I did. Right, I'm still looking through your feed trying to find out what you saw. I'm only seeing Endless Utopia references and opining that uh, replacing Leonardo DiCaprio with Matt Damon would make all of DiCaprio's movies better. Now, that wasn't my opinion. That was somebody else's opinion. That's why it's in quotes. I'm just commenting on that opinion. The opinion expressed, and you guys might actually have uh, something interesting to say about this. The opinion expressed was that. Every Leonardo DiCaprio movie could be made marginally better if you actually cast Matt Damon in it instead of Leonardo DiCaprio. Let's see, and how much would that add to the O'Scoverman's tab of 
retrieving Matt Damon from places. <laughs> DiCaprio would get himself wedged in somewhere real good. They had to go get him. Okay. Yeah, nobody would want to save him, though. Yeah. <laughs> like the Titanic rescue and Shutter Island. So what do they do about The Departed? They, they played opposite each other in Departed. Do they swap roles? or, or... They do the Patty Duke thing. Oh, Our higher Matt Damon's little uh, Matt Damon has a little brother who does movies and TV shows. Uh, he was in a couple of episodes of Breaking Bad. He was in the uh, Battleship movie. Battleship, if you guys watched that. Why did you remind me that that happened? <laughs> Though I'm, I can't wait for the Milton Bradley cinematic universe, can't you? Oh, man. Oh, Sorry, coming to theaters this summer. See, this is why I hate being sick, having sleep deprivation. Is that all of these great things that I've talked about momentarily, um, like on Twitter, would actually make great topics for us to talk about, kind of at length. But I can't remember them. There was something that happened last week, some topic that came up, and my response to that was, well, actually, that would make a great cinematic universe. It's one of the few things that would actually make a good cinematic universe, but I can't remember now what so it need, exactly was. We need to get you a little more sleep-deprived. Just you know, go through the looking glass until you're delirious, and then it'll be even more fun. So just so, so we're kind of in the trough between crests here. Yeah. So so off the top of your head, then, uh, what is War Pig's favorite geeky thing that you would like to see as a cinematic universe? Uh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry, I'm reading my Twitter. I did a quick search on Twitter, and the twi tweet says, this kind of concept could actually support a cinematic universe. Now I just have to figure out what it was I was referring to. The, see, the thing about actually supporting a cinematic universe is there's not a lot of interrelated stories with multiple characters simultaneously in concurrent but separate story arcs uh, for a long enough time to have tried out just about every decent every decent plot idea so you can mine all the best ones to make movies from. Pretty much the only thing that you can actually do that from is... Um, oh, here it is. Is... Uh, is comics. But here is something else. This is what I'm talking about. It could actually support a cinematic universe. Taking a concept like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and not the League itself, not that IP itself, but taking that concept of a large number of pulp fiction characters, um, a Tarzan or a Tarzan analog, uh, and so on and so forth, um, Characters who existed at the time of the pulps, whose authors frequently borrowed story concepts or gods, uh, cultures, other elements from each other, and putting them in a universe where they all exist at the same time that could actually support a cinematic universe just as rich as the Marvel one. So you could have, say, in the Victorian era, 
you could have uh, characters that are in the Old West, characters that are set in uh, Sherlock Holmes, characters that are uh, set in H.G. Wells stories like The Invisible Man, and so on and so forth, that you could have a cinematic universe where these characters, you start off each individual character in their own movie, and eventually they come together to fight some uh, gigantic threat to all of them, like the War of the Worlds. So you would start off with a movie with the Invisible Man, a movie with um, the Time Traveler, a movie with somebody from the Old West, a movie with Tarzan, um, and a movie with so on and so forth, and then the invasion of War of the Worlds happens, and all these different characters have to get together and fight in the War of the Worlds against oh, no. the Martian invasion in the Victorian era in 1896. That could be done. It could, and as a matter of fact, there's a template for it. Have you heard of Philip Jose Farmer's Wold Newton Universe? Yes, I've heard of it. That's basically what that is. Um, what it is is that he took a real-life event, which was a meteorite impact around Wold, <coughs> excuse me, Newton, England, I think sometime in the late 18th century, and through genetics and ranching family trees, he went on to explain that that is how every popular pulp character from The Shadow to Tarzan to James Bond, and I think even works in modern comics like Spider-Man, got their powers. That meteorite and uh, this recently married couple just happened to be passing by the impact site in a carriage, and it irradiated them and mutated their genes, and they were fine, but they passed along this potential like to be more than human to their offspring and so he uh, creates a conceit that they were basically the ancestors of every pulp hero. Sounds pretty watchable to me. Here's some things, by the way, because I, I searched my account for, my Twitter account for Cinematic Universe. Here's some things that would not make a good Cinematic Universe that have been announced at one point or another. Bone Tomahawk writer creating an all-new Puppet Master Cinematic Universe. Without Charles Band? Yeah. Puppet Master, because one single horror movie franchise is a great base from which to build an entire cinematic universe. Um, 2018 Transformers movie is a Bumblebee spinoff, a.k.a. a Transformers cinematic universe. Um, G.I. Joe, Micronauts, Visionaries, Mask, and Rom, the Space Knight, will have a shared cinematic universe. Good luck. Um, <laughs> oh, so, Sony was trying to push a Spider-Man cinematic universe that was just Spider-Man and his, you know, associated heroes and his villains and his amazing friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, they're yeah. all chasing the puck so hard. It's so obvious. It is uh, insane. And then, of course, I mentioned the ultimate cinematic universe. Because if you can make a Puppet Master cinematic universe, then by gum and by golly, this should be easy to do. You should be able to do a Home Alone cinematic universe. I think that would be great. <laughs> finally, finally bring Kevin and whatever the kid from the fourth one was together. By the way, I'd like to thank Daddy Warpig from 16 November 2015 for that joke. We appreciate your contribution to the show. Hmm. All right. <laughs> So you want me to talk about The Conjuring 2 now? So, so, is it true that The Conjuring 2 is the start of a Conjuring cinematic universe? 
see how what I did there with that with that transition? I hope not. <laughs> no, I've no, not actually of that. I've not read any stories about that. That that that's just a joke made up for the transition, folks. Don't panic. Don't throw anything. Don't commit suicide. It's okay. It's not actually happening. But was it a good movie? Yes, and it's actually uh, a better segue than you think because I um, don't know if you're the folks out there know this, but both The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2 are based on no, the wait a Are you allowed notes. to call them folks? Because I call people folks. Are you allowed to call them folks? I thought that was my thing. I always call people folks because it's oh. one syllable. Instead of two, try to be efficient like that. So short story writing efficiency. <laughs> But if you don't I interrupted me, you. I'm sorry. If you don't want me to pee in your Kool-Aid, I'll, I'll, I won't say folks. All right. Wait, All right, chaps. Wait, wait how, how, why do short stories care about the number of syllables? Isn't that the number of letters? No. It is... Okay, it, it's basically to streamline the reading process and keep people reading. But those are some author tricks I can get into a little later. Um, as for Conjuring... So both movies in the series, based okay. on the case notes. The of first Ed Conjuring and, is great. It's a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Second one might be better, but uh, I digress. They're based on the case notes of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were real-life paranormal investigators, and in fact, Ed was the only lay demonologist, you know, the only de demonologist, not in holy orders, who was contracted work with the Catholic Church in investigating cases of possession and paranormal occurrences. So they accumulated over the course of their careers preponderance of case files of these inexplicable happenings, almost like a real-life X-Files. And they also came to accumulate... Uh, they, they would take a little mementos away from some of their cases eventually got enough to turn an entire room in their house into a little museum kind of like from Friday the 13th, the series, like the Cursed Pawn Shop. Uh, but anyway, so in the, the first movie, like for example, the the opener revolves around this Cursed Doll, which actually makes a cameo in this one. But uh, if either of you guys, I, I know Dave Warpig's seen it. John, have you seen the first Conjuring? No, I haven't. Okay. I'll avoid spoilers as much as possible, but one thing that both movies have in common is they start with an opening segment that is not what the whole plot of the movie is about, but just kind of introduces you to the characters and situations, but we'll have a callback to it later. So in the first one, it's this possessed doll, which again was based on a real-life story, and then it goes into a haunted house movie with undertones of demonic possession and poltergeist and hauntings and it's a good time uh, I agree with Daddy Warpig the first one is excellent uh, both were directed by James Wan who directed the Insidious series and the only good Saw movie, the first one and it's been really interesting to watch him grow as a director his directorial powers are definitely waxing and they're on full display in Conjuring 2 where he stated that his goal was to salvage the reputation of studio horror movies like The Exorcist and like Poltergeist, which people forget 
were pretty big budget movies put up by major studios, but it's just that since then, studio horror has devolved into PG-13. Uh, you know, slaughter at the prom schlock. And on this movie, they went for an R rating and got an R rating, and darn it, it deserves the R rating. It's genuinely scary. So, highly recommend it. The only drawback that I can think of is for all the attempts at um, using practical, practical effects and realism, the few cases where... There's one case where there is an entirely CG character I didn't find entirely convincing. I found um, the style of the animation a bit dissonant with the setting it was in, but uh, still a cool concept. And then also, you know, um, how can I put this? Okay, I have often heard buddies of mine who are IT guys or computer guys complain about movies, about hacking, and how unrealistic it is, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you can sympathize. So I'm, I'm a total layman in that area, so I need people to explain to me why movies like Hackers or Swordfish are BS from the hacking standpoint. Well, it's very interesting as someone trained in theology to go into a movie like this about demonology and exorcism and I imagine it's very much the same kind of reaction. Like, well, that doesn't work like that. Or that kind of, you know, that's, yes, that is a word that is associated with that, but it's in the wrong context. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, see, especially yeah. if you're going to make it Catholic exorcisms, which have very specific ceremonies. I mean, if you're just doing a generic horror movie and you're doing a non-denominational exorcism, fine. It's your movie. You can create whatever um, whatever universe you want, whatever rules you want, whatever cosmology you want, and whatever rituals you want. But if you're like The Exorcist, the original The Exorcist, which, by the way, is a brilliant and compelling movie, and if you haven't seen it, uh, you should see it if you like horror movies. The original The Exorcist is uh, absolutely amazingly impeccable. But if you're going to do a movie like that that involves literal Catholic, Catholic priests, then you ought to do enough research to get the rituals of Catholicism correct. But it's always Catholics, isn't it? I mean, I, I, this is something like uh, that I read in a Roger Ebert review a long time ago. Um, it's it's like when you go to the movies and it's there's always this hidden society of monster hunters or ghost hunters or exorcists and something. They're always Catholics, aren't they? Well, there's a reason for that and that it's true to real life because honestly, I've, I'm in these circles. I've heard these testimonials. I was just talking with Jadji about this the other day. Even in non-Catholic traditions, when there is a problem like this, I don't know how many times I've, I've heard priests say that they get referred by Protestant pastors because they don't know how to deal with this. And it's just the fact that there is a fundamental difference between what a Catholic priest is, what the office of the priesthood is, and a minister. One is a highly educated and highly trained layman who does not have the seal of holy orders, which much like baptism... Sets permanently sets someone apart for the exclusive use and dedication to God. It's a consecration. That's what a Catholic priest has. So it's no 
particular merit on the priest's account. I mean, he could be a total scumbag. Fact that he is ex he has been given a share in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ. So again, like Betty Warp big reference in the Exorcist, it is the power of Christ that exercises the unclean spirit. It's not the man, which is one of those uh, situations from the Conjuring movies that I found questionable, which is in the, the first one, they have a layman, although a very knowledgeable one, attempt to perform an exorcism, and no, that that's a no-no. Uh, because because it's not about the rites and rituals, it's about in, invoking the actual power of, of uh, God and everything. Right, the rites and the rituals are, are means to an end, but, you know, it would be, and again, this, this is an improper analogy, but it would be like putting you down in front of a cardiac surgery patient whose, like, ribs are already spread, the chest cavity's open, and you're like, John, here are all the tools. Here's all the scalpels and retractors and gauze that you will need. Okay, go. He needs a quadruple bypass. You don't know what you're doing. You're not trained as a surgeon. But if I know anything about watching the movie is if I hack at the rib and heart fast enough, I'll be successful. <laughs> there you go. That That is where John Wright is wrong, by the way. Um, he indicates there's a unity between magic and religion, but where he's mistaken, at least in terms of modern... Uh, genre tropes is that magic is entirely about the ritual. If you perform the ritual correctly, it will work even if you're not a priest, which is why in Buffy you have people who are not magical reading from uh, scraps of paper with words written on them who can work spells, and in Supernatural, the TV series, where the two brothers can perform exorcisms just by reading the words because that's magic, it's not religion, whereas religion is entirely about um, people who have been specifically empowered by the divine to carry out activities in uh, its name, uh, and that is the dividing line between religion and magic as far as tropes go, and why there's a difference between secular magic and religion, even in uh, in most fiction and, and especially in many role-playing games. I'll put a great way I've heard to sum that up is magic is an attempt to use a preternatural power, or preternatural means to achieve mundane ends. Sacramentality, which is what we're talking about here, is using mundane ends for supernatural, or mundane means for supernatural ends. You know, like using bread and wine to transmit grace, for example, as opposed to you know, casting a spell to get winning lottery numbers or something, or put a curse on someone. All right, well, so you enjoyed The Conjuring, other than a couple of bubbles? I think that James Wan succeeded admirably in showing horror fans that a studio horror movie can still roll with the best of them, it can still scare you without relying on trite jump scares and CG blood. So, yeah, I, I wasn't going and expecting much, but I, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm Gonna have to go see it again. Um, for my part, as far as Zootopia goes, the plot made sense. It did not have gaping, stupid, idiotic plot decisions like they did in Frozen. It was a far better movie than Frozen. Uh, the acting was well done. The animation is impeccable. Um, they have engaging and endearing characters. 
um, with a lot of great actors behind the scenes, including Idris Elba, I believe. Uh, I'm just going by ear, not by reading the credits. So uh, if you're if you want to see it, if you're interested, you won't be wasting your two and a half hours completely. Um, and by the way, if you want to see that bad movie that I saw that I can't remember that I saw, don't go see it. I don't know which one it was, but don't go see it. Trust me on that. Search his Twitter feed till you find out what it was and then ignore it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> what are you doing on the internet? Well, I'm I'm mass I'm frantically searching Daddy Warpig's feed. What for? So I know what not to watch. By the way, if that was all you used my Twitter feed for, you would get a lot of good ideas about what not to go see, and your life would be much, much, much improved. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Geek Gab for uh, Saturday, June 11th, 2016. This is episode 56. By the way, if you want, if you'd like, you can subscribe to the show via podcast. Listen on your, uh, listen through iTunes, listen on your phones. And because we do it through SoundCloud, you can get it on your Android and Windows mobile devices as well. The link to do that, which is long and insane, is in the description to this video. You can, of course, watch us on YouTube, either live or later. IS period GD slash Geek Gab. That is is good slash Geek Gab. Probably every sort of once a week right here. Uh, or you can check us out uh Individually online, my Twitter feed is at Danny underscore Warpig, and the other uh, Twitter feeds for Dornall and Brian Niemeyer are right there, because I'm not going to try to spell Brian's last name. I'm sorry. They're right there in no. the description, as well as links to Brian's newest book, Soul Dancer, to uh, my blog, The House of Geekery at DaddyWarpig.com, and Kairos, his blog, BrianNiemeyer.com. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We had a lot of fun talking about movies this week. Uh, we are signing off for now, but don't worry. We will be back.